So, 273,972 Bibles are sold or given away every day. 11,415 each hour, 190 each minute, and three every second. Isn't that astonishing? What is it about that book that has made it the most loved, most read, most purchased book in all of the world? What is it that inspired somebody to start an organization called the Gideons to make sure that the hotel room you end up staying in, in some far-flung place in the prairies in Canada, will have a Bible in the little cabinet by the bed? What is it? What kind of a book is it? It's kind of hard to describe, isn't it? I mean, is it a history book? Yes. Is it a poetry book? Yes. Um, is it a song book? Yes. All of the above, right? It is a, a genius of, um, of, of mixture. Um, it's, it's a playlist in today's vernacular of, of God books, all put together for us and all ready for us to read. So we've been thinking about knowing God. And when we read the book Knowing God by Jim Packer, um, he, he takes a turn about this point and says, the thing that is remarkable about knowing God is that it's not only to know him as the supreme ruler of the universe, but it's to know him as someone who talks to us, a God who talks to us. In fact, one of the ways that the, the Old Testament prophets mocked um, the Canaanite religions was to say, you know, you, you buy a, a piece of wood, you cut it up, and it has, it has eyes, but it can't see it. It has lips, but it can't talk. Is it hands? They can't touch anything. It has legs, it won't walk. Um, whereas our God in the Israelite tradition is someone who actually talks. In fact, that was what um, was the great hope of the first covenant, um, that when the nations around Israel saw the relationship that Israel had with Jehovah God, they said, what a, what a nation this is, whose God is near them, whose God speaks to them, because for all of us, we know that we are worshiping uh, gods of wood and stone, but they, they don't ever talk back. This, this God talks back. So we as followers of Jesus Christ follow in that tradition that we believe not only in a God who is the supreme ruler of the universe, but in one who talks to us, one who actually speaks to us um, in ways that direct our lives, in the ways that uh, point our lives um, to what he is longing for for us. I, I want to bring us back this morning to... Um, something that kind of is, is the background of what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. Um, Jim Packer asks this specific question. He says, what's he after then, this God? What is his goal? What does he aim at? When he made us, his purpose was that we should love and honor him, praising him for the wonderfully ordered complexity and variety of his world, using it according to his will, and so enjoying both it and his. And though we have fallen, God has not abandoned his first purpose. Still he plans that a great host of humankind should come to love and honor him. His ultimate objective is to bring them to a state in which they please him entirely and praise him adequately. 
a state in which he is all in all to them, and he and they rejoice continually in the knowledge of each other's love. Um, when, when he was my professor, I didn't fully appreciate the, the depth of his thinking. This book, is, as I pull it out, and I hope some of you are doing that, uh, brings paragraph by paragraph, um, and I, I want to, to just sort of mull it over and understand what he's saying in this whole context of knowing God. So where we are with this now is to say, yes, indeed, what God wants is for us to know him and to enjoy him and to please him. And obviously, if we're going to know what that is all about, we're going to have to listen to him. We're going to have to understand what his revelation to us is and how we make sure that we are paying attention and being the kinds of people that would please him. So here's, here's the Bible verse for today. It's a very well-known one, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. But here is the New Living Translation of it. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I like the way that that is translated. Um, it's more often translated in kind of a, a, a technical, um, kind of a, a scholastic way, right? All scripture is inspired by God, and it, it goes on, and then we take it apart, and we've made curricula out of it in colleges and seminaries. Um, we're, we're wanting to know what is that part of it all about? What, what is that aspect of it? And we, we write doctrines about it. But in keeping with the message of this book, 2 Timothy 3.16 is not giving us the technical aspects of inspiration, although it does that. It's telling us why God gave us his word. And it's in plain, ordinary language that says, he gave us his word so that we will live the lives that please him and praise him, and he can enjoy us and we can enjoy him. The, the very first idea in the book is a very technical one, where it says that all scripture is inspired by God. So we need to make sure we're grasping what that means. How did we get the scriptures? How did we get the specific scriptures that we now have? And who's saying this and to whom? So this is Paul who's writing to Timothy. And Paul is Timothy's mentor. He's Timothy's old soul. And Paul wants to inspire Timothy. And so he says, all the scripture that we have. Now, what does he mean by that? Um, at that point, he means the Old Testament scriptures, because so far that's really all Paul has at hand. Although I think he's getting some idea that some of the writings that are going on, some of the remembering that is going on in the part of the original apostles, um, has again something to do with God in it. But strictly speaking, he's talking about the, the Old Testament scriptures. And he says, the Old Testament scriptures, Timothy, that you were taught at your mother's knee. Because Paul talked about that. He says, I rejoice in the faith that has been passed on to you from your grandmother and from your mother. And now you've, you've also taken that on. You've grasped it and you're believing it. So he says, all of that scripture is God-breathed. So there's the, the very explicit technical term. It means that God breathed out scripture. So what does that mean? It's, it's, um, it's an anthropomorphism because God in the person that he is with all of his grandeur is not necessarily a breathing entity or being. But what Timothy is, or what Paul is saying to Timothy is, um, 
the scriptures that you have 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 been breathed out. They've they've been um, brought into existence. Maybe in the same way that everything that was created from the beginning, where God said, and then the things that He said actually came into being. Similarly, God said what He wanted His scriptures to reflect. Now, the way that we see that that has been brought down to us is that he didn't violate anybody's will. He didn't violate anybody's personality. He used people. He used their thoughts. They thought they were thinking their thoughts. They thought that they were writing their thoughts. But at the same time, God was in the backstory, and he was breathing out his thoughts into their thoughts so that what they wrote down was what God wanted us to have. There has been a lot that has gone on by way of um, studying about how we got what we did get and whether we have a complete canon of scripture, to use the technical term. And if you're part of a different tradition, if you grew up in a Roman Catholic church, uh, you may notice that there was a whole part of the Bible that Protestants don't think actually fit that criterion. Um, and sometimes you read those parts of the Bible and you think, yeah, it does sort of st seem strange that this talks about this. And then there are other times you read it and you think, boy, this is at least really, really good literature and really, really good history that's good for us to know. Um, but that has been kind of the, the single thing that has marked a difference. What's actually surprising is that we all have agreed essentially on the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 of the New Testament. And while there's been a little bit of kerfuffle around James, because Luther didn't like it, he didn't like the fact that uh, James kept on saying you had to live out your faith to prove it, because for Luther, um, that was uh, something that was kind of sticking in his throat. It was only by faith, as far as Luther was concerned. So he declared that James was a right strawy epistle, an epistle of straw. However, he was outnumbered and we still read and love the book of James. Um, but here we have these 66 books that without very much controversy have been accepted. They have become the best-selling book in the world and the most loved literature that uh, has ever come around the, the, the corner to us. So, so I hope that it is very important to you. I hope that that we can claim um, that not only do we have a God that we know as the supreme ruler of the universe, but that we really do believe that he talks to humankind. Um, and that the evidence of that is in the written scripture. Um, I have the idea that God is always talking to us. He's always talking. Because the words that he has breathed into human writers that they have penned, um, they have been sort of issued into space. They've been issued into the universe. And I think that normally what we need to do is say, God is always speaking his word. It's, it's always to be heard. So no matter where I open up the scriptures, it is God talking in that sight to me then, and there will always be something that he has to say to me. And one of the wonders about scripture is that you, you never get tired or it never gets old. Um, you may be familiar with it, but when I read a novel, for example, if I read it one time, I don't want to read it the second time, even the best of novels. Some I might read a few times if they're really, really, really good. Most, I've read it, I'm done with it. We'll put that one away. So that's where my Kindle and Kobo are of great use to me because I just simply make them disappear, the books that I'm done with, but not the scriptures. 
Um, and how many times have you gone back to something that you are very familiar with and you say, I, I didn't see that part of it before. How, how could I not have noticed that before? It was there. It was God speaking, but God is still speaking. And so right now he seems to have identified this part of this part of scriptures that he wants me to see. So today what I'd like to do is talk to you about a notion that my grandfather taught me. My grandfather was the, uh, the um, country sales leader for Raleigh Bicycles in Northern Ireland. He led the, the sales force to, to sell those gorgeous bikes. I had an issue with him because when I was a boy, I've probably told some of you this, when I was a boy, they invented the 10-speed. And my grandfather was the boss of the sales of Raleigh 10-speeds. He said to me, nobody needs 10 gears. I said, but I want 10 gears. He said, you can have three. That's all you need. Well, three gears came with those girly handlebars, right? 10 gears came with the racing handlebars. And he just said, nobody needs 10 gears. And I'm going, you, you could just go pick one of those up and bring it home for me. And he said, if you want a three-speed bicycle, I'll bring that home to you. He would not let me have a 10-speed. Okay, I'm done with that. That was an issue that I had to, to manage in, in my life as I rode those other bikes around and looked at the 10-speeds, how fast they were. Here we are. My grandfather taught me about truing a wheel. And so that, it's, it's a verb that has basically gone into disuse, I, I, I think. So what happened when you trued a wheel was that you adjusted the spokes. Um, because a wheel needs to turn you know, with a certain rhythm and a certain continuity for it to be a good wheel. A spoke that's out of true or out of torque will cause a whole wheel to be out of true. So to true a wheel is to make it work perfectly, to make it work as it has been designed. Um, it's not going to wobble. You're not going to have that little bump every time it goes past the, the brake blocks. Um, it's, it's going to just run like clockwork because it's been trued. What I want to just suggest to you this morning is that the purpose of the Bible for us is to true our lives in, in that very same respect. The, the Bible will go to work for me and for you to call us into a state that we might just call true. It's a true book in every sense of that word, but I think its purpose in our lives, as far as Paul was concerned when he was instructing Timothy, the purpose of the Bible was not to put out and say there, every, every word is true and every word is technically true and every word is totally true and all that you need. Paul was saying the Bible has been given to us by God with an intent to true our lives. That will have to do with knowing what is true, what's right, what's wrong and all of that. But its purpose is never to be able to say we have mastered that book. Its purpose is to come into our lives and say, it has mastered our lives. So I read for the first time now, probably about 15 years ago, a writer who said, what if instead of reading the Bible, the Bible read us? And I thought, that's a, 
that's a brilliant idea because we have been the masters of the Bible in some respects, but has it regularly been the master of our lives? So I, I could come through a seminary program and say, I know the Bible. I've read the Bible. I might even be saying that I'm reading theology as the way I express what my, my academic pursuit is. But the Bible might want to talk back to me and say, yes, but do, do you let me read you? Do you let me study you? Do you let me change you? Do you, do you let me know you? And that's the purpose of the Bible. All scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. For what reasons? Um, to tell us the truth about him, to tell us the truth about us. But far more than that, practically speaking, it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's what the scripture is lining up, ready to do every day in my life and yours. And we live in a world where there is a great deal of confusion about what's right or wrong, what's true or what's false. And God would step alongside of us and say, remember what it is you've committed yourself to, to knowing me, the supreme ruler of the universe, and to hearing what I say. So it has to be truing me every day of my life, in every situation of my life. The scripture wants to true the way that I function, and the result of it should be that I am someone who is well-functioned, well-oriented in my relationship to God, so that God says, I'm enjoying you, you're enjoying me, and this is the way it was supposed to be. The problem has come with sin, and sin has sent my trueness out of true. It has sent the rhythm of my life, the function of my life, the understanding of my life, out of its proper design, and I'm wobbling in lots of ways through my life. Packer talks about three things that characterize the, the scriptures, um, the Torah, as, as he describes them. He says it is, it is first of all, um, a, a body of law. Um, and with that, I, I want to put in some, some words that maybe we can test out today, that um, the Torah, the scripture... Um, is law. It's, it's black and white. It's yes and no. It's right and wrong. Um, it is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and all of the associated commandments that, that collect around that. <coughs> and those are principles that have never gone out of, out of use. They have never gone out of service. They, they are provided to us to true our lives. Ten laws, ten words, that God gave to his people and said to Moses, take these words and put them in the middle of the community and tell my people that they are to function according to these 10 words. Today, as we try to have a voice in a society like ours, I, I think it is a very useful conversation to say to those around us, what, what is wrong with the 10 words, with the the Ten Laws of the Ten Commandments. What, what, what would you find objectionable about them? And people might say things that they are uh, out of date, that they're not in keeping with the consensus of society and all. <coughs> but I think still I, I would, I'd like to sit across the table and say, but which, which of them is it that you would take offense to? Um, do you think it's 
something that we would agree that truth would be a, a good kind of a currency that we'd always be committed to? Or do you think it's better if we can be false with one another? Um, what about life and the dignity of life? Do you, do you think that human beings should be afforded sanctity? Um, and and can, can we talk honestly about all of this? So that they, they are still laws. They are still principles of life, principles of relationship with one another and relationship with God. That we would say, we haven't put those away. So we have the Bible. It is still current with us, whether it's on a phone or a book, and the laws that God gave us are still with us, and we still subscribe to them, and we still seek to live by them as the principles by which we live our lives. The second um, is that Packer says that Old Testament law that essentially Paul was talking about not only is made up of laws, things that are rights and wrongs, trues and falses and all of that, but it's also something that is full of promises. God has given us laws, principles. He's also made promises, and I think we might call them a pattern. So what is it that Scripture has to do with my life and your life as it tries to true us? It brings us the content of what's right and wrong, true and false, and so on. But it also brings promises to us. God, God in his scriptures, as he calls out his covenant people, he says, here's what I'm committed to. Here's what I'm in this for. Here's the deal from me. I want something, and I want you to have what you actually properly want. And all of that is wrapped up in a set of promises. So God takes us through um, his, his list of, of characters, like a person like Abraham, and he says, now here's what I'm in this for. Here, here's the promise I'm going to make to you. And then we find that through all of the relationships of God with humankind from Old to New Testament, that God says, I've set out what's right and wrong, but I also have committed myself to some promises that you can count on. And as we said earlier today, we're singing about that, or we can go to the scriptures and we can say God has said that he promises he will do this. He promises he will, will do that. The third thing that we see in, in the, um, the Torah, as Packer talks about it, is, is a testimony. So he, he would sort of categorize the content of, of the, the Old Testament scriptures and say they started with God giving us a law, then giving us promises, and then finally he gives us the stories that when people commit themselves to what he has declared, right and wrong and so on, when people believe into the promises that he makes, then you'll be able to hear the stories told by when people believed what God said and then trusted in his promises and then lived their lives um, growing out of that. So I think for us it, it, it lends to a principle uh, core of life, a pattern core of life, and a precedent core of life. So if we use those words, what are the principles that we get that are going to true our lives? What are the patterns that we should expect if we live according to those principles? Um, what is life going to be? If, if life is to be set free from the entanglement of sin and the corruption of sin, what are the patterns of living that way 
so that we are true towards God, believing in what he has said, and then living into the promises, the pattern of life that he says that we should follow. And then what are the stories that we have to tell? What, what are the precedents that we can point to and say, well, as I watch that life, that's a person who believed what God said, who trusted in God's promises, and then left a legacy because of having that particular commitment of life. That, I think, is in simple terms the Christian life that we're looking for, right? We're believing that God says, I want to enjoy you, and I want you to enjoy me. I want you to please me, to be able to worship me, and I want you to enjoy even that process. The problem that we have is the problem of sin and corruption, so everything that we do is to true us back to what God has designed for us. And Packer's terms are law, promise, and testimony. Ours for our use today are to say, what are the principles by which I'm living my life? And I wonder if, if we were to sit down pen and paper or iPad to stylus or something, um, would, would we easily identify five or seven or ten principles by which we live our lives? Um, my favorite author these days is Jordan Peterson, whose book 12 Rules for Life is brilliant. Have you heard about him? He's Canadian. He's, he's a prairie boy. He's going all over the place talking comes from a Christian background and perspective, has wandered off from that. But you need to read his book, 12, 12 Rules for Life. He calls them an, an antidote to chaos. And as I've thought about what he means by chaos, I've been thinking that that's a great term for sin. It's a great term for corruption, chaos. So he has notions about how you fix chaos, what we would say this morning is what we would do is true our lives out of chaos. So rather than they're not being predictable, rather than they're not being orderly, we end up living lives that are predictable and lives that are orderly because they are lives that are true. Because the Holy Scriptures have been sent to us by God to true our lives and that would look like living by principles that are from God's word and God's ways, um, practicing patterns that we can expect, that if we live this way, if we sow these seeds, this is what we will reap, this is what we will harvest, and then ending up looking for stories by which we tell our lives as having been trued, and other people can look at our lives and say, that there's the story of it. So what is the story, then, that somebody would tell about you? When it's that time and uh, somebody's standing up at a podium and you're inside a coffin and you can't hear what they're saying, but they're saying lovely things about you, what will they be? Will they be about the fact that you lived your life according to the pattern of God's wisdom as shown to us in Scripture, as what he said to us? Will they say that your life was one that was predictable because, of course, you were someone who always told the truth. You were someone who was always honest. You were some, all of those things that you said, by principle, I commit myself to these things so that there can be a testimony at the end of the day, so that at the end of the way I live my life, people can say, there's the precedent. There's the, the, the example of a life that is lived well that you would say is as trued 
as a bicycle wheel. How about it? What are the principles that you commit your life to? What are the promises that you live into? And how's the story coming? And who's learning the story? Who's listening to the story? And who will ultimately tell the story? All scripture is breathed out by God. It's that nature of literature that is unparalleled because it wasn't someone's great creative ideas or imagination. It was somehow or other, it was God himself, what he was thinking and what he needed to say. It's complete. And, you know, there again is the, is the marvel about it. How, how did we, through creeds and councils and churches, and how did we agree that this is all we need? We don't need to anymore. Don't need to add anymore. Because apart from little sort of divergent groups like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and, and the rest, pretty much Christianity has agreed that God has told us what he wants to tell us, and it's enough. So we settle on that, we believe it, and we live by it, and we say thank you very much for good guidance, good wisdom, and uh, let's be sure we don't leave it on the shelf. Can we pray about it? Father, we thank you for such wisdom um, as is rolled up into the scriptures. Uh, so many areas of knowledge and so many areas of, of practice and relationships um, are touched on and they're told to us in, in ways that inform our lives, shape us, give us um, the, the foundation on which we will expect the patterns um, that you promise and then end up into stories that uh, basically say to us, yes, this is, this is true. This is a way to escape the chaos, the sin, the corruption, and to live lives that are true. Thank you for that in Jesus' name.